Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Irina Lazarenu, fashion model and iconic muse of the early to mid-aughts. As we are in the throes of Fashion Month, I wanted to get Irina's take on the evolution of the modeling industry, particularly as a result of influencers and social media. I also wanted to ask about the alleged vibe shift to indie sleaze that's happening across the fashion and beauty industries. Of course, she and Kate Moss did it first. Welcome, Irina. Hello, Jill. Hi. Wow, what an intro. (laughs) Do you see this shift? First of all, like I was reading some stories about you in preparation for this, and that's how you were labeled. I mean, what do you think of it? Was was your uh, vibe always indie sleeves? I don't don't (laughs) even, that's what the kids call it. Uh, I, I guess that's what the, but you know, I mean, I was always like such a little weird dorky kid then, you know, I kind of always wanted to be an original sleaze, but never really made it. So, you know, uh, kind of like bucket list moment here. Um, I mean, in the sleaze, like at the Gen Z's, Gen Z's or call it, it was it just called indie. You know, and it was like this really kind of uh, amazing time in 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 music and in fashion in the early two thousands, where you had like you know groups like the Libertines or Arctic Monkeys, or you know kind of coming in the Strokes and creating this movement that wasn't grunge; it was like post grunge, right? So it had a little bit of like that nineties like you know, baggy jeans and like dirty hair and, you know, ripped jeans kind of thing, Converse going on. But it was also mixed with this kind of uh, glamorous aspect that kind of happened. Well, I mean, glamorous, like, you know, like the, the crop tops and a lot of pink and, you know, Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears. So there was like this kind of like pop icons, valley girl thing mixed with the grunge references mixed with, you know, maybe some glam rock. Like it was like just a melting pot, like a little bit of a confusing time, but it was really cool because no matter what you put on in the morning, no matter how uh, hangover you were. (laughs) So without really thinking about it, just grabbing things off the floor and creating an outfit, you know, it'd be like socks on tights and like big belts and hats and sunglasses. You would step out, it would be cool. It'd be great. So it wasn't like definitely not about following trends and wearing brands. It was about getting through your day (laughs) and surviving (laughs) it. That's how I kind of look at it. It was authentic. It was authentic. It wasn't like, and it was like, it didn't matter if you couldn't buy like, you know, Versace or Chanel. You could still look good with like, you know, a really nice like sweater that had holes in it that you got at like the, the trip shop or like whatever it was. And it was cool. It was fun. But I definitely did not do that first. I think that there's a lot of people a lot of amazing icons and references from the punk era that did that first. Um, people ask me about this a lot. And they're like, what do you think punk 
is always been like this kind of movement that has remained generation after generation. Because I think it's not like it's not a trend, it's not a movement. It's 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 really like it's it's a feeling. It's in a feeling of, of of expression and it and it's something that, you know, I mean, fun kids didn't use safety pins for style. They used it because they were so poor that their clothes were falling apart. And there's that's that's authenticity, you know. That's that's something that you it's it it has grit and it, it has truth and it has. Um, it has style. And people take notice. Well, we have to circle back your career. Walk us through it because, uh, you know, I use iconic and I don't think that's overblown to, for you to be the muse of Carl Lagerfeld, discovered by Carl Lagerfeld, if I'm correct, uh, the muse of Marc Jacobs, many designers, I would say, in, in the early 2000s. Um, how did you get discovered? How did you get into modeling? How did this all come to be? I don't, I still don't know. Um, I think um, it, it was very much being at the right place at the right time. I think I've, I've tried when I wrote my book, I was trying to kind of pinpoint the, the moment where my life has changed and the reasons why it was me and not somebody else. And I think that you know, when I started modeling, I did it out of necessity. Um, I was very poor. I was living in London. Um, and I needed a, you know, I, I was in school and I needed a, a way to make money. And somebody suggested modeling. Uh, and I couldn't book a job to save my life for like the longest time because I would go to castings and, you know, there would be these just lines of beautiful girls and they were tall and they had fullest skin and very long legs and they were dressed beautifully and their, their nails were done. And I did not look like that. <laughs> you know, I was shorter and I liked to wear a lot of weird vintage clothes and I had very long hair and I looked that I didn't comb and I looked like cousin it. <laughs> and most of the times I would wait for hours in line and it'd be my turn and people would be like, what is that? Not, not even who is that, but what is that? You know, which is always something really nice and comforting to hear when you're like 18 years old, you know, and you spend like your only $5 buying like the best skirt you found at the fruit shop. And you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's like old gypsy skirt. But, you know, it wasn't really, I guess, what like, you know, the the, the flavor of the day was back then. And, and, but I kind of understood something. It was like, my dad used to say to me when I was a kid, like, be yourself because everybody else is already taken. I could never be that girl. I could never be that Brazilian, 5'11", perfect beauty, blonde hair. Um, I had to find something that was completely mine and that's just I was who I was and <laughs> with all my quirkiness and anxieties and imperfections like this weird arty kids that you know came at a certain time and in a way being so different was terrifying and being able to stick to that conviction that I'm still going to show up like that 
I'm not going to change because everybody else looks a certain way. That's terrifying at 18 when you get a door slammed in your face every day and you still go out there and you go, no, 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 no. Because then you kind of have to think that, you know, your whole problem with fashion is a lot of the times your self-worth or career is in the hands of other people. It's, it doesn't matter how good you are at something, like what your skills are or like what, how much you study or learn. It's people will judge you on the way you look. And I feel like it's terrifying enough being a teenage girl as it is. But yeah. growing up in this industry, gr- growing up in this business, you are ultimately defined if by other people. If they say you are pretty or you're cool or you fit in somewhere. So here I was uh, after a year of not booking a job at another casting just waiting in line at Chanel. And that day, uh, there was like 300 girls at the offices of Chanel and I was sitting on the floor. I was writing in my diaries as I always did because I kept diaries and I did collages and I did drawings because that's the only thing that kept me sane. That was my thing that no one could take away from me. That was my outlet being creative and writing and being expressive was the only thing that I had that was mine. So I was sitting there, I was looking down, my hair on my face, my Tibetan boots, the big skirt, and a bunch of people passed in front of me. And then I looked up, and when I looked up, somebody stopped, and it was Carl Lagerfeld and the team going in to start the casting. And he stopped, he looked down at me, he like stared at me he looked at me for about two three seconds and then he kept walking and about a minute later somebody came in and they said can you follow me and I looked around and I went who me like me they're like yeah yeah come on get up and they it was the casting director they took me backstage where I met Virginie Viard from Chanel that now is the designer of Chanel and they said Carl wants to meet you we're going to put you in a Chanel outfit. And I was like, what, what is happening? What is happening? Cause I was just like, I'm going to go in go out. It's going to be like all the other times. And I walked in and I know usually when you're a model, you have to be quiet and you have to do your fitting and you have to be graceful and discreet. None of those things were my forte. <laughs> and the more nervous I get the more I babble and talk and get like over the top and it's not a thing because I'm like extravagant or super self-confident it's the opposite like the more scared I am the more I use that to deflect to how scared I am so it's just the facade um so I got dressed and I'm wearing the Chanel dress and it's a couture dress and it's too long and um and I didn't know what to do and they walked me in to meet Carl and I started asking him 150 questions. I was like telling him jokes and I just think I made him laugh. Like, I just think like everybody, (laughs) either that or he took pity on me, but like, I just, uh, he just, he loved it. She's like, she's perfect. She's going to 
close the show and now you're gonna work for Chanel. And I was like, I and that was it. That was oh my gosh. Craziest. The rest story. is history. Well, yeah. Oh my gosh. Did you have this amazing relationship with with Carl for all the years until until um his his passing? Like, did you keep in touch with him? Did you? I mean, what a brilliant, brilliant! I mean, run in this fashion industry as he does as he did. I mean, he he is just um, such um, an amazing human being. Like his work, his legacy speaks for itself. But he was um, an extraordinary person because I think he had this amazing talent to see something in people that before they saw it in themselves, he could recognize talent and then he would nurture it. And he did that with stylists and designers and models and all kinds of different artists. And he had an amazing sense of humor. He was very loyal. And there was a certain Carl Lagerfeld persona, like at work when the cameras were there, and but then he could be very different um, in private, like very funny and almost like a, an uncle or you know, like like a dad, and like you know, give you tips, and we would laugh about things. And I learned so much from him. He, he was like an um, encyclopedia. Encyclopedia? How do you say that in English? Um, encyclopedia. <laughs> encyclopedia. Okay. Still can't say it properly, but yeah. So he, yes, he knew. Every- I like how you say it better. <laughs> he knew everything about everything. Like, but like to, to a degree, like, of course he knew everything about fashion history and history and you know, what weird designer that popped up, like, you know, after the war, the post-war movement or some obscure painter. But like, sometimes like I would come in and I would find like these weird punk bands, bands from like Berlin in the, in the early seventies or mid seventies that nobody would know, like a band called No Neck Monsters, which is a really (laughs) funny name. And they had one song on this old LP that they released like 300 copies of in 1977. And I walk in, you know, with this thing. I'm like, I've discovered this amazing, like, punk German band. And he goes, oh, yeah, no, no Nick Monsters. And then starts, like, reciting the lyrics of the song. <laughs> You're just stop. Is there anything like like a complete like a computer in his mind? And so he was very interesting to talk to. Um, and he also knew not to take things too seriously, even if he was like the hardest working person I've ever met. Like he could also like in in England we say like take the piss and just you know laugh at things and um so he was really fun to be around. Oh my gosh, fantastic. Well, I know that you don't go too deep into this in your book, but you referenced your, um, maybe um, you weren't the most well off, I would say, going into the modeling industry. As you said, you were looking to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, you This was a, a job for you as a college, college, young, no, high school, teen, teen, anyway. Yeah, anyway, um, but yes, I just, I loved I, I read 
read it in depth. The um, the New York Times piece on you that came out during um, in April, timed with the release of your book, and it um, kind of mirrored or or talked about your your experience as a Romanian refugee and um, and what you were seeing with with the Ukraine war and and everybody that was yes, obviously there's. I mean, it's you went through a lot. And so I would just say you had a great quote um, about um, the drastic, uh, I guess, difference, the contrast between um, going from somebody who didn't want to be seen at all. And that was um, that was the idea. You couldn't be seen. You were um, going from somebody who was not seen to somebody who was Invisible. in the spotlight. When I was in when I was a kid and I was in the refugee camp the way you survive is to be invisible because if you're invisible, then people don't notice you and you get through things easier. Um, and obviously um, I have chosen a career where I have to be very visible um, in images or video and now with social media, you kind of have to open up and give like a window to people into your life, which of course, is difficult all the time. I yeah. find, anyways. Did you just like challenge yourself and just say, "I'm going to go outside of my comfort zone, or maybe um, enter what is actually comfortable and what is actually me"? Um, talk to me about, yeah, easing into this industry. Um, did it take a Carl Lagerfeld to be like a mentor type, or to, um, yeah, what was your kind of coping mechanism? I guess back then, I didn't have the most, the healthiest coping mechanisms uh as you know as a, as a young kid I just you know I just kind of try to survive my day-to-day -day. um the one thing that helped is I had a lot of people in my life that have dealt with uh, you know being in the public eye or working in the entertainment industry for a long time Kate Moss um you know my friend Lindsay Lohan that uh, they've been you know I guess Lindsay or Kate or other people have navigated this kind of system of uh, being an actress or a model and, and, and being a public figure for a lot longer than I had when I met them. And um, I've learned a lot from them. Back then, it was a little bit different also. There are no, and I talk about this in the book in depth, that, that there, were no, there was no social media. There were no iPhones. So I think like, when you dealt with press or scandals, it was mostly the newspapers uh, and the media um, and the paparazzis. But outside of that, you could still have a certain degree of privacy um, that today, everybody's a paparazzi. Everybody could like pull up a phone and film somebody and putting online with absolutely no permission. And... I mean, I didn't have to deal with that. <laughs> I think that that's, that's probably a good thing in my case because I was quite wild when I was younger. And I also got to be a kid and make my mistakes without everybody knowing about them. Um, but it's, it's definitely hard because everybody's entitled to privacy. Everybody's entitled to have you know, their personal life outside their work. And I feel like today that line is very blurry. Um, and if you're a public figure, people think that you just have the right to know everything about you. 
Um, and I don't know that the two thousands were like that last period, that last period before, you know, around 2010 or 11, 12, the iPhone kind of came around. And I mean, you had the flip phone or the Blackberry, try to make a video of that, <laughs> you know, try to, <laughs> you know, but in a way, when I made my book, uh, you know, I used a lot of images in the book. I really wanted to create like a portrait of that time. And when I re- I wrote the book first, so I kind of, I wanted to focus to make like a, an honest portrait of that generation and that time in fashion and music. When I say honest, I mean, obviously this wasn't like a tell-all controversial memoir where I'm like telling stuff the, the, the needy and the greedy, you know, I was out with such and such and, you know, such and such. Sex, with... drugs and rock and roll. Well, it wasn't <laughs> like, I feel like that has been done. And there's a lot of people, if they want to go that direction, that's their choice. But what I wanted to do is kind of focus on two elements. One is the relationship with the people that really kind of like defined, um, and, and nurtured me and um, kind of were like very instrumental at a very vulnerable time in my life. And I wanted to talk about those relationships and I wanted to focus on the positive. There's so much being written on the negative or the controversial, but I was like, no, I want to write about the, the good moments because there's a lot of those, you know? I know they don't sell as many books as the controversial books, and a lot of the times when you do promotion, the media always go like, okay, where's, you know, where's the, where's the juice? Where's the creme Philly? Like, where's that stuff? You know, where is like the, the controversial kind of ugly side of it? And I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I really want to focus on the positive. And I also really focus in the book and in, in the elements of style, because it was a book about style and the people in my book are really freaking stylish. So that's what I wanted to talk about, you know? Style icons only. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so in the beginning, I, I wrote it. I sent everybody their chapter. I was like, are you okay with this? Because even if I don't say anything controversial, I still talk about being on holidays with people, being at parties, being on tours, still private elements of our lives together of our friendships right so I wanted to make sure that everybody was cool with that which they all were and they're very gracious gracious and they loved it and then so I wrote the book I sent it to my editor it took about a year to write and then I said okay I'm done it's done I'm it's over and then she goes now you have to illustrate it and I went like oh my god It was great that there were no videos or pictures or proof during that time because some of us would be in jail right now, but (laughs) I also have no images or very few images that would accept because if you didn't have a disposable camera, a Polaroid camera, an old Leica, or somebody was artsy or, or a photographer, people wouldn't sit around on their phones or take pictures of each other. And especially those people, the last thing we wanted when we all got together is to start taking pictures of each other. So that's that's oh, the sure. outside world, you know? It's like you run in a home or you go on holiday with like a bunch of paparazzis outside and you sit down, you're like, okay, let's take some selfies. That was not the culture. 
That's not what we like to do. So I had all these amazing, you know, anecdotes and souvenirs, as we say in French. And then I was like, how am I going to illustrate them? So I became like this little detective. I called everybody that I knew that called everybody that they knew. And then I, I found a photographer that was on tour in 2005. And then my friends were finding like old pictures in shoe boxes under their beds. And it became like this collaborative process, like tracking people down in Buenos Aires in 2008, <laughs> like Nancy and, you know, <laughs> writing handwritten letters because some people like had no phones or internet. I've done that. Totally. And somehow after a couple of months, we ended up with 2000 images as Flammarion in the office. Fantastic. Of just like old Polaroids and like snapshots of things. And then we put them together and we put them in the book. So I mean, what a project. So the idea is a time capsule of this of this moment that was like obviously a huge contrast to the way that modeling is working today. Like you said, the the new girls, the new guys, girls have this amazing, I don't know, yearbook every year on, on Instagram or on their social media um, that they could just really pluck images from. They would have it so much easier. <laughs> what other differences, I guess, would you say um, do these, the newer, the newer batch, the newer um, up and comers, like, do they have it easier? Do they have it harder? Oh my God. Um, I was just on a shoot yesterday and everybody was 18 and obviously I'm 40 and when I started out, like I always had these amazing moments where I would work with, you know, the the girls from the previous generations that were icons, people like, you know, Angela Litval or Carmen Cass or Shalom or Amber Letter. And every time I would shoot with them or be in the show with them, like I would just follow them around and ask them questions. And you know, we all looked up to them and I guess in a way there was very much backstage in between the generation of passing of the torch so you had this and I talk about it in the book like a little bit of this like big sister mentality and you know like if you had an issue you could go to someone and talk about it and now funny enough that person is me like because you know now on set like you no know, and I think that's that's really cool and I take that job very seriously and I'm very humbled by the opportunity um, to share whatever I have learned um, to, and pass it on to other kids. But it's still a challenging job, right? You still have to leave your home, sometimes very young, and go to a foreign place. And again, like I said in the beginning, every a lot of what you do is not defined by your set of skills. It really is by the way you look or what other people will decide for you. So I think the most important thing you could do is to have something that is, like I said, just yours. That could be, you know, going to school, focusing on your family, starting a business, following up on a passion, music or drawing or something that is outside of the business because for me that that was my sanity that was my safe place and it was so vital that it was your music 
It was my music. It was also, I mean, I don't know if I've ever been much of a musician. I've worked with amazing musicians uh, that would make anybody sound good. So, <laughs> but I've always loved like the composing, writing aspects of doing songs. And now that's why I think like with my book, like it was a, a, a full circle kind of moment because I got back to my first love, which was writing, which was literature. But that was my thing. Every Everyone's thing could be different. But it cannot be just a hundred percent just the industry, and it you know it, it it can't you cannot give uh, the power to certain individuals that you probably don't know that for like the rest of your life or that they're going to make decisions on like how you see see yourself or what you're going to do in your life. It's hard. It's always going to be hard. The m- big difference is today. We talk about mental health. We talk about body positivity. We talk about um, harassment, abuse, um, addiction. Back when I started, we didn't talk about those things. And even some, unfortunately, if we saw them and we talked about them, we were told not to. So that for me is a huge plus and I'm very happy. And I know that there's people that work very hard to get the industry to be where it is today compared to 10, 20 years ago. Inclusivity, diversity, you know, we see, you know, different women and men, we see different ethnicities, different body shapes, different ages being represented, you know, um, in the industry and campaigns on the runway. That is amazing. I always say this when I started out being a brunette was diversity. I was considered exotic. <laughs> Obviously, you look at me. Clearly. Clearly. You know, um, weird, which I I never took as an insult. Like you can call me weird all day long. Um, I love Just it. Put me on the Chanel runway. <laughs> yeah, it's what's okay. the alternative though? Banal, like right, right, like true. Yes. And um, so you see the progress, which is great because there's always a question of like, is fashion doing better and going under the microscope and looking at diversity numbers and what's happening on the runway? Clear progress from your point of view. But do you know what? I feel like we're like this with everything. Like, of course, like, are we making progress? We still have progress to make on all of these issues on, you know, on on uh, women rights, on racism, uh, on, you know, the LGBTQ plus community. Yes, there's so much, so much work to do. But if you look back just 20 years, yes, we're making progress. And if we just focus on the negatives, if we just look and like, well, this, you know, this isn't working, it's all worth it. Then how are we supposed to keep going? How are we supposed to inspire the new generation to rise up and talk and still keep fighting? It cannot always be it's the same thing when I'm talking in my book. I'm like, a lot of people, you know, I had feedback saying, well, you don't talk about the, the ugly side. You don't talk about the things that you saw. You don't talk about. And I'm like, well, this is not that book. 
And I don't have to talk about those things, you know, like I want to focus on that. It doesn't mean that other people can't do it. And I respect that, but I want to also, there needs to be a silver line. There needs to be hope. There needs to be something for the new girls, as you said, to look up to, to say, okay, we still have so much work to do, but you need to acknowledge progress also. And I think we have, we have, think we've made progress. Yes. This book is made for people like me who only want to watch movies that are romantic comedies because it's not stressful. <laughs> oh my God. It was so stressful to write though. <laughs> I'm sure. Because this was a pandemic project. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. So that was one of the things, but also I focused on everything else except sometimes the controversial element when there was only controversial elements. Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, yes. well, on this day, so, and I've always like took the liberty to say when I was having a bad day or I wasn't in the best ma- uh, mind state because I felt like I can talk about me. I would never talk about anybody else uh, because that's not my place. But I could talk about what a hot mess I was. And I was a hot mess and I was very comfortable doing that. But again, like there's a lot of stuff that I was like, okay, so I remember the events of a certain day or a certain weekend and it was just like controversy after controversy (laughs) and (laughs) madness and craziness. And I'm like, well, I was wearing five dresses on top of each other and the wallpaper was very pretty. And this person came in. So it was just such an interesting experience and like exercise to write in the way that I still was truthful enough to say the truth without divulging too much. So I get in trouble and at the same time do it with humor, which was so important for me because I think I survived those years by just laughing at myself and laughing at situations. And that's how I did it. Yes, I love it. I know there was a lot of I don't know about you, but well, things you hear rumors in the in the industries uh, about the industry about even things like, you know, you get paid in clothes, which may be worth to your benefit for like a runway show, you get an ample like camera time or uh, or a press. Um things like that. Like for, I want to ask you about influencers, but I just know, you know, some TikTokers that I follow, um they're really like a pulling the curtain back and they're saying, you know, they're calling out like this brand doesn't pay anything. This brand, can you believe this contract and they're like talking it out? Like what do you guys think? think like there's definitely more openness as as in regard to transparency is the word um yes I mean would you, that's a, a bonus for this day and age and also yeah are the influencers changing I guess uh digitally native uh famous folks we'll call them influencers but yeah is that um having a negative impact the um there's not one term one definition of model anymore which isn't right. diversity but yeah how do you think influencers are changing it I think it's great that they're talking about these issues. Um, unfortunately, you know, there's a there's a poem by Bob Dylan that's called Every Grain of Sand. And I think he he refers to sometimes the power dynamic in society. He says, uh, none for the plenty and plenty for the few, right? The the entertainment industry, the fashion intri- industry is run by a very small group of people. And if you're in that, 
if you're if you're lucky enough, fortunate enough to be a part of those that kind of crowd, that very niche kind of bubble, then you've got a lot of power. You have a large income. You have a, a certain relationship with brands and. The people that are not there or trying to make it, a lot of the times are being treated differently. Um, so I think it's good that people are using their platforms to talk about such things. At the same time, I also think it's very important for somebody to pay their dues and do the work. So your brand, your work needs to also reflect your value and what you brought bring to the industry. One thing I tell the younger girls sometimes when I'm asking that all the time, it's always like, for me being a model, my job is not to look pretty. My job is to tell a story. And the way that I tell that story is I am part of a collective of people that come together on set to create an image, right? There's art directors. There are production uh, people. There are... Makeup artists and hairstylists and retouchers and stylists and sometimes when you're make you're doing a campaign or you're 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 creating a fashion story for a magazine, there's 50, 60 people on set. Now you are the back blank canvas that gets to bring their work together. It's not about you. It's not about, oh, I think I look pretty, or you can't see my face, or this or that, or I don't want to shoot with that person. It's not, that's not what you're there for. You're part of a collective. Now, if you think like that, it's the same thing for influencers. When you get a contract with a big brand, you are part of a team, a team of their ambassadors, and you get every week or every month to create some kind of amazing content or contact creator and and bring a product to life so like anything else take the ego out of it and focus on the work and if you do that you'll be fine i love that our brands you have a great following you have a great reputation again style icon status <laughs> um do our brands fashion beauty wellness other coming to you for um traditional i guess influencer work i wouldn't even know where to start okay so this is the situation with me and social media obviously you saw how tech savvy savvy I am uh, when we started this this call for for our interview today. I am not very good, and I'm it's okay. I'm not very good with social media. I do have an Instagram account. I have an amazing team, an amazing art director, Pascal Perinard. That's also my Asian that is helping me with that. I wanted to create. Um, I don't have. I don't post very often. Sometimes, like once a month, I wanted to create something on my page. That was that was representative of my personality, my book, my journals, um, uh, and and what I the kind of content that I want to create, image wise in 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 the fashion industry. But I I wouldn't know where to start with being an influencer. But I am w- willing to learn, and and um, and maybe uh, you know it's never too late. And uh, it would be something that I, you know, I can pick up over the next couple of years. And next time we'll talk, I'll be like a, a great content creator that would know actually how to use her phone. 
I have all the faith. We we will talk. We'll check in. Um, talk to me about uh, speaking of diversity. Um, I, I think that the old theory was you kind of age out of modeling. Um, yes. Are you like? I think you're still in demand. Yeah. <laughs> Why well, just Jesus? Yeah. I I listen. I took a long time away, and I feel extremely uh, fortunate. Um, and humbled that uh, when I came back a couple months ago, I there's still, there was still a place for me, and that c- certain people, certain brands, certain photographers, and casting directors, and my agents, my poor agents that have been with me through thick and thin, and most of them, I gave them a lot of white hairs and anxiety attacks um that you know those people still believe in me and and they're there for me and that I get to to go through this part of my career with them which is very different you know I feel like when I work now when I'm on set like I I'm very happy and excited to be there and that um I really fell in love with my job again and I look at it like in a completely different way that I did even like seven or eight years ago. So I think I needed that. I think time and yeah, and becoming a mom and I, I didn't really take any time off for 15 years. So I needed this time. I needed this time to kind of grow and figure some things out for myself and have like the clarity to make, different decisions and at the end of my career one of the reasons that I stopped it wasn't because I wasn't working it was because I really didn't like the person I was becoming and I thought that you know I didn't recognize myself and I didn't recognize the way that I reacted to things and um, there was never any time to take time off there was there was always people around and there was always people saying yes to everything or people telling you you have to do this or you have to do that I feel like after so long and I live in the woods now with my kids like I live on a mountain and I do mom things and I have PTA meetings and I have play dates and my whole life revolves around my son and I love like passing out at 8.30. Like I couldn't even get to like an episode of like House of Dragons last night because I passed out. Like, that's great. That's fantastic. That's my life now. And I'm okay with that. And when I go to work, it's, it's something that I feel very privileged of doing after 20 years, privileged of doing at 40. Um, so it's different. I'm different. The industry is different. I get it. That's that's just time, you know. Well, I'm going to be bouncing around New York and Paris at all the shows. Am I going to see you? Am I going to see you this fashion month? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I can't. I can't say. I'm so sorry. I would, but no. I, I, I that's a good like, hint. There's probably going to be like a laser that's going to like you know, hit me and take me down. <laughs> I'm going to have like an <laughs> well, electric shock somewhere coming out. Uh, I think so. We'll take it as a hint. Yeah. Nice. I think And so. last question for you. I, miss, I mean, I haven't walked in seven years. So um, I think it's, it would be the right time for me to come back and do something fun. If I hope I remember also how to do it. 
<laughs> of course you will. Last question for you. Say, I mean, you're a mom now. Your son wants to be a model. I'm just making this up. What do you say? Oh my God. Wants to be. Yesterday I was on a shoot and he literally was coming in and like, you know, doing poses, getting in front of me. Um, oh man, listen, I, whatever he wants to be, you know, who he wants to be, who he wants to love. I am all in. Um, it would be very hypocritical of me of saying, you know, you cannot model because I feel like, you know, modeling has brought so many amazing uh, and, and beautiful, um, chapters and parts of my life. And I'm very grateful for it. So, you know, um, the fact that I can stay home and write books and write obscure poetry and live in the woods with my kid is because I had the career that I had and, and fashion has given that to me, like the freedom to be creative, uh, and in a way, a, um, uh, financial independence at a very young age when I could do that, where I can go, I could go and create and grow, um, and take care of my baby. Uh, so I'm very grateful for that. So if that's what he wants to do, great. I mean, his dad's a musician. So, I mean, it's terrifying <laughs> in a way. I'm like, Oh God, you know, who is he going to take after? Okay. I mean, <laughs> no, they're both they're thinking they're... not like, maybe he can do like not lead singers and guitarists are a little bit like egocentrical sometimes. So like, maybe he could do like the bass or the drums. That's always like, um, it but, seems less crazy. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean, right now he likes Paw Patrol. That's his jam. Uh, Who doesn't? Of course. <laughs> and uh, so he's really into that. And he really likes math, which I love. And also, I, I'm, I'm really not great at math. So I'm going to have to hire a tutor very soon, probably like first grade kind of status. And um, yeah, so maybe it's going to be like a nap fab kind of situation where I'm going to have this kid. It's going to be like, mom. <laughs> well, just a mathematician. It'll blow everybody out of the water. We, we had no idea. Oh my God. Irina, this was so much fun. Excited. If you haven't read Runway Bird, I would, it's, it's fun. And the pictures, it was worth the dig. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for being here. Oh, this was so much fun. Thank you so much, Jill. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.